Savannah of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of The Athletic. On this episode, some midseason hardware, most valuable, under and overachievers, and a look at the rookies, plus a deep dive in the weekend at Kentucky, a track that could tell us a lot more than you think. But first, this is episode 25 of Positive Aggression. This is the Papa Joe Hendrick edition. Yes, this is a bit of a curveball, David, but in honor of all the number 25s associated with Hendrick, let's think back. Papa Joe is the father of Rick Hendrick, and Papa Joe was often the listed car owner for all those 25s in the Hendrick stable. So we're kind of grouping it all together, David, the 25 Papa Joe Hendrick, Team Hendrick, a lot of memories, a lot of different car drivers, a lot of different uh, drivers of the 25. Which driver, for for you, which driver stands out in your memory the most? Because it was kind of the revolving door at Hendrick Motorsports. It is. And that that is a great question because, you know, I always divert back to the early 90s, which will bring me back to what, Ken Schrader for me, I think. And then Ricky Craven was in the 25 for that one, two, three finish at Daytona. A little later, I think of Brian Vickers, uh, you know, coming up through that organization, getting the wins, that memorable Talladega where he took out Dale Jr. And uh, there, no one really stands out. And that's kind of the, the weird thing of the number 25 at Team Hendrick, because you think of all the the pedigree of the five and the 48 and the championships, the 24 and Jeff Gordon. And then there's the 25. You know, there was always the the fourth car or the other Hendrick car. And that's how I've always kind of thought of the 25. Yeah. And where there was continuity with Terry Labonte and Jeff Gordon for years, uh, it, it just seemed like the team could never really settle on a driver. They had some good ones. Uh, Ken Schrader was in there for a little bit. Uh, jo- uh, Joe Nemechek got a win. Jerry Nadeau got oh, a win. Jerry Nadeau, uh, Connecticut guy. I forgot you, about him. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Brian Vickers. I was at Talladega uh, for that, uh, taking out Jimmy and Dale Jr. on the last lap. Uh, I was happy to get out of Talladega because I really <laughs> thought that was about to be a riot. But, I mean, do you, like Wally Dollenback Jr. was wow. in that car for uh, a little bit. You know, Alan, this was – a little before our time, the best, hands down, at least statistically, was Tim Richmond. Uh, yeah. Seven victories behind the wheel of the 25 car. One of the greatest drivers Rick Hendrick claims he's ever seen. He might have been Jeff Gordon before Jeff Gordon. He took chartered private jets to have his hair done in New York City. And I, I believe we know now that uh, that partying was uh, a little bit of his downfall, um, but the dude could drive. And I think the, the biggest takeaway that I saw from his brief career was the budding rivalry or the, the rivalry that didn't completely form with Dale Earnhardt. Uh, we think about Dale Earnhardt's career and he he might have had three periods he had a he had a rivalry that became a little bit personal with Daryl Waldrip but that was uh at the tail end of Daryl's prime and there was the the later period there was a, a documentary that we were told Dale Earnhardt had a rivalry with Jeff Gordon I was alive for that and I don't really quite remember things that way but that middle part of Earnhardt's career he sort of went unrivaled Alan and I feel like that gap that that could have been filled by the 25 car by Tim Richmond and had he been uh healthier taking care of himself a little bit more a little bit more attention being paid to uh his on track activities 
we might not have known the 25 car as a revolving door. I think that was the driver that should have made that car work. What, what say you? When you can go back and look and hear and listen to and read everything people were saying about Tim Richmond, right? What could have been? It just leads to so many of those questions. And maybe it altered, it obviously altered the future of the 25, but maybe the, as you said, the consistency or the, the legacy of someone being in that car for one associative amount of time, right? And, uh, and maybe it put it on a, a different spiral just for that 25 car. Um, don't forget Brad Keselowski drove the 25, I think at one point. Chase, uh, Chase Elliott has a start in the 25. Uh, not there anymore. Did, did they, did it become the 88? Yes, it did. Okay. Yeah, so Dale was, Jr. moved it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and before Dale Jr., pl- let's please not forget Casey Mears became a winner yes. in the 25 car. In the last the, winner in the 25 car. The weirdest podium finish possibly in NASCAR history. The Coca-Cola 600, a race decided on fuel mileage. Casey Mears, JJ Yaley, Kyle Petty was your first, second, and third on that Memorial Day weekend. Man, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of bizarre wins just looking down the list, uh, for the 25 car, but certainly memorable. Um, I think the, the Kodak paint scheme and the Budweiser paint scheme stands out to me. I think I always remember is the Budweiser car. There was a weird year that it was the number 50. I think it was during NASCAR's 50th anniversary. I tried <laughs> yeah. to black that out. That was weird. <laughs> you meant Kodiak, not Kodak. Co- oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. I'm, yes. Way more Southern was not film. Completely snuff. Absolutely. <laughs> and oh yeah, a lot of just randomness with the 25. Uh, Brian Vickers had this bright green, yellowish neon paint scheme for Garnier Fructis once. And it, it might have been the ugliest paint scheme I can ever remember. But you know, with Brian Vickers and his styled hair, I think, I guess it worked, but it was a, a very memorable car for the, all the wrong reasons. that good that's a good ending point for the (laughs) the 25 car yeah so yeah a lot of 25 randomness let's start our show though david we're halfway through the season let's hand out some hardware this is the first ever positive regression mid-season awards show i guess we can call this episode and uh so we're just gonna tell you how we feel about how some people are doing on pit road uh behind the wheel and from cup to xfinity to trucks whatever uh whatever we want to choose so david let's start with the most valuable driver we'll start with the cup series let's start with the most valuable driver in cup who you got in the first half of 2019 for me uh it's an easy choice it is kyle bush uh he ranks number one in peer he is unchallenged in that regard He's been number one or number two in passing, uh, depending on the week. He's back and forth with Joey Logano on that. He's a top five restarter from both grooves. He is the tenant of the fastest car in the series, which when you think of Joe Gibbs Racing, you think of fast cars, uh, but the other JGR cars currently rank 7th, 9th, and 14th in central speed, so Bush, uh, I, I think it's reasonable to assume that he might have something to do with that. He would be the championship favorite if the championship were given to the most deserving team over the course of the season, but it's not. Uh, it often does anyway. Uh, Kevin Harvick and, and Martin Truex were unquestionably deserving of their championships regardless of the format when they won. I'm still a proponent of being statistically bulletproof despite how the title is awarded. And that is Bush right now. Uh, and if we wanted to extend this award 
to the Xfinity series and the truck series. I would say his exploits are deserving there as well, uh, considering the performance of his teams when he's in the car versus when he's not in the car. We've discussed that on past episodes. Nothing has changed there, uh, but I believe that also speaks to his value. Alan, tell me I'm on the right track with my pick. Yes, this is the only appropriate answer for most valuable driver so far this year is Kyle Busch. Look, you went through all the statistics, his performance, his peer numbers, everything. David, for as fast as he is and as good as he is, just to put a number on it, this is from Motorsports Analytics. I mean, as you said, his restart numbers are out of this world. From the preferred groove, he's delivering 50 positions. He's gained 50 positions from the preferred groove. So think of how much talent he has, how fast he already is. And on these restarts, he's given himself 50 extra positions. He's earning them being out there on the preferred groove. That takes skill. That That's just adding to his arsenal already. So, yes, Kyle Busch, four wins, dominating. Championship favorite? We'll talk about that later. I don't know. But MVP so far. Let's move on. Most valuable crew chief. I'll go first on this one, David, because the way I judge this is who the driver, no, I'm sorry, the crew chief, most valuable to his driver. That's how I judge this when, when going the most valuable crew chief for the first half of this season. For me, that is Chad Knauss. That is my pick as he is my pick for most valuable crew chief, uh, because the leap the 24 team is making right now is awesome. And part of that goes into the work that Knauss is doing, not only in terms of being fast, better race cars, but on pit strategy. Chad Knauss has delivered his driver 78 positions so far this year via pit strategy. 31 of them on the non-drafting tracks, you know, the important ones really, in a year with an aero package and everything is telling us that track position means everything. He's got a young driver who's kind of coming into his own and William Byron, learning how to race up front. But when track position means everything and Chad Knauss is delivering that track position to a young driver who is highly capable of learning quickly and blossoming, to me, that makes him the most valuable crew chief out there right now. I actually appreciate your reasoning for uh, for how you went about because valuable is a fluid concept. And, and if I may, I'll explain the process that went into uh, my decision. I went in thinking that I was definitely going to give this to Chris Gabehart, uh, crew chief for Denny Hamlin. But I became paranoid that maybe I was transfixed by the shiny new crew chief in the room. Uh, Gabe Hart, a Cup Series rookie in his own right, but already with two wins. So what I did is I went down the list. I questioned, is Chris Gabe Hart better right now than Matt McCall? Yes. Is he better than Paul Wolf? Yes. And so on. There was only one crew chief. I could not give a positive answer for, and that was Cole Pern. And therefore, Cole Pern is my pick. Cole Pern is doing pretty much everything he did for Furniture Row Racing at the same rate for Joe Gibbs Racing. And I think we take for granted the move he made. Uh, my colleague Jeff Gluck interviewed him for a story on The Athletic. And you forget, he lived in Colorado, right? Martin Truex did not. Uh, Colpern lived in Colorado, moved his family to North Carolina, and had to make the adjustment. He admitted that it was stressful for, for everyone involved, as you would imagine. And oh, by the way, 
he has successfully taken charge of a team in a new environment and producing similar results. Four wins with Martin Truex through the first half of this season. Not too shabby for anyone, but especially so when it's a crew chief in his first year with a new team. The world isn't linear. Just because you're successful at one place, it does not mean uh, that the same things that made you successful would work at another place. And uh, never has that been truer in crew chiefing. We don't often see crew chiefs have success across multiple organizations anymore. Recent memory uh, suggests uh, Kenny Francis and Darian Grubb, but Alan, not sure if you realize this. But I scanned the list of championship winning crew chiefs in NASCAR Cup Series history, and unless I completely whiffed on it, no crew chief has won an outright championship for more than one car owner. Cole Pern is trying to make history. He has put himself in that position, and uh, for that, I'm I'm going to give him this award. Interesting. All right. I'll give it to you. I mean, mine, Chad Knauss is more right than Cole Pern, but we'll go with it. Don't worry. All right. Moving on. Rookie of the half year. This one's tough, David. There's only real two contenders, right? There's Ryan Priest and there is Daniel Hemrick. Uh, uh, Matt Tift says hello. Well, yes, but did you pick Matt Tift? No, I didn't. Okay, I just, I just wanted to tell you that he says hello. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, Matt Tift, but look, when we're looking at the statistics, pick and you have a great second half. I, I wish you the best, Matt Tift. I promise. I'm just saying, in the first half of the year, there's two contenders, Ryan Freeze and Daniel Hemrick. For me, it was really close. You, you know, you look at their numbers, the stats, um, however you want to look at it. I tried to compare the two. Because no one, you know, no one, neither jumped out that that was what was doing it for me. When I, when I was posed the question, I was like, I can't really decide. There wasn't an immediate answer. So for me, I'm going with Ryan Priest. Ryan Priest is the rookie of the half year. He's got one more top 10 than Daniel Hemrick with, I think, two to one. <laughs> one, uh, he's got a top five at Talladega. Both of his, both of his top 10s are at plate tracks. That's not a, that's not a dig. That's just a, a fact in reality. He was good at those tracks. Uh, but Priest's passing numbers, are a little better than Hemrick. Uh, so that's why I went with Priest right now. But to me, it was really equal, David. I'm going to be Team Hemrick on this one, uh, primarily because of his second quarter of the season or second half of the first half of the season. We're, we're diving too deep into that. <laughs> um, but his first quarter, his first nine races were objectively not good. Uh, a peer of negative 0.833 across those races. You do that for a full season, there will not be another season. Um, fortunately for him, he's turned up the performance wick his second quarter, and this is across the nine most recent races, a peer of 1.722. That rating would place him 10th among all drivers for the entire season. I've said it here before, but if you are placing emphasis on his lack of wins or or any driver's lack of wins at the Xfinity or truck level, you're doing it wrong. That's an incomplete evaluation. Here is a driver who can produce results a little better than what is expected from his equipment. His RCR number eight car ranks 24th in central speed, but he has four top 15 finishes. 
Uh, sometimes you just got to give rookies a little time to, to figure things out. And I'm optimistic that the second quarter of 2019 tells us a little bit more about Daniel Hemrick, the driver, than his first quarter. We shall keep an eye on it. We differ there. All right, moving on to biggest overachiever of the first half of 2019. Uh, David, I'll let you go first on this one. Biggest overachiever. Uh, my pick is going to be Kurt Busch. Uh, he has the 11th fastest car and the third best average finish. We don't know how sustainable that dynamic is for a full season, but he was able to pull it off for a half season. Uh, worked very well. His passing numbers are stellar, something about which I wrote for The Athletic uh, last month. But his top 15 disparity, there's none bigger than his. Uh, finishing in the top 15, a round 15% more often than his percentage of laps completed in the same whereabouts. That, to me, is overachieving quantified. Alan, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see if you can, uh, uh, better my selection there. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a matter of perspective, right? Like, so for me, I base this on expectations. Uh, when, when I, when I consider overachieving, what did I expect of this driver compared to what they are doing in the first half? And therefore, that if someone is far out doing what my expectations were, then I feel that they are indeed overachieving. So for me, the answer is the biggest overachiever in the first half is young Alex Bowman. Uh, I did not expect the improvement, as much of the improvement as we've seen out of him so far this season. We've seen a huge jump in performance. Uh, he had a string of top two finishes. Uh, he gave one away at Kansas, and then he comes back and gets it. You know, he learned. You can almost see the evolution out there on the track, what he learned for him to go out there and get that win uh, in Chicagoland. He's now a winner. He's now in the playoffs. This is, for me, this far exceeds the expectation of improvement that I had for him. He's only got the 12th fastest car uh, in terms of central speed, and for what he's doing with it, I think he is overachieving right now. Another one of those drivers coming into his own, now that he's finally, you know, another year in good equipment, but I feel he is the top overachiever. What say you? Uh, if I may, uh, Greg Ives may be a candidate for, uh, some sort of crew chief award if, uh, if everything continues into the second half, because that number 88 team is very good right now. And they have figured out the moderate mile and a half tracks. They look dangerous. Um, I would suggest that they are a sleeper candidate for the championship, but I believe them to be slightly better than sleeper status. They're, they're real. Uh, we're heading into Kentucky this weekend. And if, if no one is paying attention to the 88 car, that is a grave mistake. I look forward. We're going to preview Kentucky coming up here soon. So, uh, so you had what? Kurt Busch. I had Alex Bowman for overachievers. Let's go to biggest underachiever. David, unfortunately for this, I will go with Kurt Busch's teammate and Kyle Larson. Look, again, this goes by expectation. What I expected out of Kyle Larson and what he is so far giving us, I feel. I just, his overall performance is down. You look at his peer numbers compared to last year. His performance and equal equipment rating, it, it's down. His passing is down. His crashing is up. And, you know, he has the sixth fastest car, but I don't think he's, we're seeing the results that he should be delivering, at least in the first half. Therefore, for me, the biggest underachiever so far is Kyle Larson. 
Okay. I, I can, I can understand how you're piecing that together. For me, I look at the list of drivers and, and this does feel fairly obvious. It's Austin Dillon, uh, by the same metric that anointed Kurt Busch the biggest overachiever. Dylan is the biggest underachiever. His disparity is 15.6% in the other direction uh, when it comes to top 15 uh, finishes. That amounts to three top 15 finishes left on the table this season. Uh, not great. I know he won a stage this past weekend at Daytona, but something feels a little, uh, I don't know, not not too good about that. His car is the fastest of RCR's two cars, 18th. And central speed. Dylan ranks 20th in pier, tied right now with Corey LaJoy. His average finish ranks 22nd among full-time teams. RCR has a good program. They hire and employ smart people. Uh, the talent in the shop is bearing out in the Xfinity series right now with Tyler Reddick's performance. We're just not seeing that in the Cup series with Dylan. Frankly, I don't know that we ever will. Uh, we know why he has the job that he has. Uh, he's not likely going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, so unfortunately, that's just uh, something that the three team as a whole is going to have to figure out. We may never know how big uh, that spin, that spin and crash was at Daytona in terms of saving the season. What could have been for the three team? Moving on, uh, we talked to a lot of cup guys. Let's talk non-cup guys, David. Most valuable non-cup series driver. I'll let you go first. Oh, my pick is Ross Chastain. Yeah. Uh, we, we discussed him at length two episodes ago. So I will, I will spare our listeners the, the statistical deep dive, but in a broad sense, he is a tide lifting all boats. Uh, nice Motorsports was not a truck series winning team until Ross Chastain won them a race. Colleague Racing this weekend at Daytona was not an Xfinity series winning team until Ross Chastain won them that race. He makes JD Motorsports look respectable. Uh, I've heard he receives the best of what they have among their four teams. But still, it, it's an effort for that small team. I've spoken with with Johnny Davis on occasion. Um, it isn't easy to produce just the adequate results that they've been getting. But Alan, just in regards to Nice Motorsports, they made investments over the offseason to build around him. They believed in him enough to do that. Uh, that whole organization is led by Cody Efaw. It is in the process of uh, trying to build something that hopefully lasts a while in the truck series. If Chastain wasn't the linchpin, it's hard to see them willingly double down to the extent that they have already. Do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, look, there, there's only one answer to this, right? And it is Ross Chastain. It's like, it's like Kyle, but shout out though to Tyler Reddick. I mean, I want, we can't ignore what he's been doing for RCR, but for Ross Chastain to have those wins in truck and the Xfinity series as well. Remember, we were talking the most valuable non-cup series driver. Uh, to do what he's done for that team, Nice Motorsports, compared to what they were last year, uh, it's just, it's crazy to watch. It's not only a good story, but he is providing it with his talent. Like, we can't ignore it. We can't just say 
chalk it, chalk it up to like the aw shucks, like what a great story, you know, a little team that could out of nowhere. Yes, that's what it is, but we're also seeing a very talented driver do crazy good things so far, at least in the first half. So I like to see where this plays out, especially now that he can run for a championship. Agreed. All right, uh, most valuable non-cup series crew chief. This is a good one. Uh, David, I'm going with Rudy Fugel because look, maybe it's a cop out. You know, I'm close to the truck series, but Kyle Busch still needs a fast rocket when he's driving it. And, uh, they, Kyle Busch swept all his races in the 51 truck with Rudy Fugel. Rudy Fugel then goes out there and wins with Greg Biffle. Uh, one reason I pick Rudy is because he, he is the, the, the bar, if you will. He is the crew chief that other crew chiefs on pit road kind of play themselves off of. When Ross Chastain's crew chief, uh, Phil Gould made the, the call to go gas only, he's trying to guess what Rudy Fuel is doing, right? Like they're, that's the strategy. They're trying to beat the 51. That's who they're trying to play off against. And so for me, when, when he's the standard Rudy Fugel, when that, that's the one everyone's trying to beat, for me, Rudy Fugel is the most valuable non-Cup Series crew chief right now. Uh, that, that actually is a very good selection. And, uh, I, I didn't really, I didn't consider Rudy, uh, for this. My pick, Travis Mack, uh, overseeing Michael Annette's number one team in the Xfinity Series for junior motorsports. He has been an impactful addition to that team. Uh, the team did benefit from a, a glut of other teams not returning to the series this season, but even still, the numbers are pretty staggering. Their red zone finishing average improved from 19.2 last year to 10.2 this year. Uh, central speed improved from 19th to 10th. And the team ranks eighth in speed on one mile tracks specifically. This team is running far better than it did, and it's more consistent than it was last year. Three deviations better, to be exact, and that is a tricky feat to pull off. I'm not going to say that this is the best junior motorsports team. That designation probably belongs to the number seven with uh, Justin Allgaier and Jason Burdett, even though they don't have the finishes to show for it. They're still very fast and uh, probably more capable of winning over the long haul. But Travis Mack, I loved what he did at Levine Family Racing. His pit strategy MO was pretty simple, but uh, sort of revolutionary. All big swings, swinging for the fences, and they didn't work uh, often. And that's in part what got him fired. I will contend that Bob Levine didn't realize what he had, Bob Levine probably doesn't realize a lot of things, but Travis Mack, a successful uh, reclamation after a tough, bizarre 2018 season. Good pick. Good pick. It was surprising for me. You know, I thought, you know, Daytona, all right, he goes out there and wins. You know, what what more could come of Michael Annette's team? You know what I mean? Just going off track record, let's be honest. And they have surprised. They have stayed in it and surprised, and that is an excellent choice, David. Uh, last one, best rookie, not in the cup series. So best Xfinity and or truck series rookie. David, I went with uh, the easy choice for me, Justin Haley, cup winner, mm. <laughs> cup winner, Justin Haley, but not because of that, but it's for something you pointed out to me, the, the stat of relevancy, how often you finish in the top half of the field. Justin Haley, a rookie in Xfinity is at 100% relevancy in the Xfinity series. And I think for a rookie, for him to be doing that, that that's all you can ask of 
for a rookie, I feel, is to at least show up, produce with the speed and the equipment that you have. Justin Haley's doing that. For me, he is the best rookie of the first half, not in the Cup Series. Yeah, and he's my pick as well. He's a top five guy in peer, uh, so it isn't just solely uh, getting okay finishes. But I went back and reminded myself of what he was able to do in the KNN East series. He won that division's championship in 2016. He was doing this consistency stuff uh, all along. He scored 14 top 10 finishes in all 14 starts. Um, I thought a lot about Haley since Daytona, as you would, as you would expect. I've seen some of the fan reaction to his weather assisted victory. He's being hailed as the new Trevor Bain, or at least some fans are worried he could become the next Trevor Bain. And, uh, if I may, his statistical profile as a prospect is nowhere near Trevor, uh, Trevor Bain's profile. Haley is better and a driver who simply does not make race killing mistakes is a driver who will forever be coveted. Uh, he's only crashed once in the Xfinity series in 2019. That's impressive for a 20 year old. Uh, he might not pan out to become some transcendent superstar. However, it's a good bet that if he continues on this path, he will be employed for a very long time at the Cup Series level. I think that's fair to say. So uh, to all the folks commenting on social media and uh, racing reference especially, because that's where I got the heavy doses of it, get a grip. Uh, <laughs> he's not Trevor Bain. Just stop it. Stop it. You're foolish. No. <laughs> all right. That was good. That, that's our first edition of uh, uh, mid-season hardware here on Positive Regression. So the trophies are in the mail. Uh, gentlemen, drivers, and crew chiefs. There you go. All right, let's move on to Kentucky. Uh, an early week, a triple header. I'll be out there Thursday for the truck race on FS1. The Xfinity guys are out there uh, Friday night, and the Cup guys go Saturday night in this package, night racing. So let's talk about it, David. Kentucky is what you'd call the moderate mile-and-a-half track, which means its banking is less than 20 degrees. Uh, that That is a certain kind of profile. Not all cookie-cutter tracks are created equal. This is a moderate one-and-a-half-mile track. David, I'll let you explain that a little more compared to some other tracks, but who are some of the fastest teams in the Cup Series at a track like this? So far this season, the uh, the fastest car on the moderate mile-and-a-halves by a considerable margin is the number four of Kevin Harvick. Yes, they're winless. People are starting to talk about that, Alan, uh, but when when a team is this fast, they are in pretty good shape. The four car will be fasted this weekend. Beyond him, Alex Bowman ranks second. Brad Keselowski ranks third. Kyle Busch is fourth. And there's a four-way tie for fifth between Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, and both Ganassi cars of Kyle Larson and Kurt Busch. I'll suggest that those eight gentlemen are the ones to watch uh, this weekend. I've asked around uh, from uh, some of the, the engineers and team members that I'm friendly with, and they suggest that this race is going to look a lot like Kansas and Chicago land. So I would expect the, the guys that were good there probably going to be pretty good this weekend. Let's dive into that a little more because, you know, as I was talking about Alex Bowman earlier, overall in terms of central speed, 
the 88 is 12th fastest car in the field, you know, in all of the Cup Series. But as you just said, David, when we get to tracks like this, like Kentucky, the moderate mile-and-a-half tracks, all of a sudden he's second. That's a huge jump. Yeah, and that sort of speaks to the focus of this track type because it is the track type that Homestead falls into. If you can think back two years ago, Martin Truex and uh, and Cole Pern threw the series for a loop. They ruled this track type. Uh, they went six for six two years ago in route to a championship Crazy. with Furniture Row. So they that was the blueprint, and now the 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 fast teams that have the ability to conjure this kind of speed are trying to emulate that. And for guys like Bowman, like Larson and Bush, uh, Chase Elliott is up there as well. Following this, while maybe not paying so much attention to some of the other facilities, is having a benefit. So on the one end, we have, you know, maybe the 88 making a surprise appearance on a track type like this. Uh, but as you said, Homestead is a track like this. I don't know how much we, you know, Homestead is months away. But if we want to compare other track types, one name and team missing from kind of success at these track types, at least speed-wise, David, is Kyle Busch. So if they're not performing as well as these other teams are at moderate mile-and-a-half tracks, the 18 I'm talking about, does that mean he's not a championship contender or does that, it kind of, it's to me, it says that kind of evens the field or kind of takes Kyle Bush out because that team is not performing as well as some others, at least in terms of speed at a track like this. Yeah. And you can probably lump Martin Truex in that as well. Uh, I mentioned last week how I wasn't convinced that those two guys were wholesale championship contenders because of their struggles on this track. Uh, I've got a question for you, Alan, among the Joe Gibbs drivers, which of the four has the best average finish on this track type this year? I'm going to just say you're throwing me one, Eric Jones. That is correct. Boom! Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, the one Joe Gibbs racing driver on the outside looking in on the playoffs right now, and maybe that's a sign of things to come this weekend for Jones. He didn't finish worse than seventh in two Cup Series starts at Kentucky, but Back to Bush and Truex, and to a lesser extent, Hamlin. Bush has good speed, even if he doesn't have the finishes. But the other two have hardly been competitive. And we just talked about Truex's success on this track type two years ago. You have to wonder whether the new rules package has created some sort of disconnect for him and Cole Pern because... They haven't figured it out. Truex was pretty vocal about that after his win at Charlotte. He didn't buy into uh, that he was as good as he needed to be on uh, what he called the 550 horsepower tracks. I think they're aware of their issues. So this weekend, it's the last mile and a half we're going to see until the playoffs. We're going to learn some things about these teams. And it surprised me. You know, we we should, and he's deserve worthy of it and deserves it. All all the accolades that he's getting, Kyle Busch, I'm, I'm talking about in terms of wins and his performance. But his passing numbers, David, at this specific type of track are not as high. They're not up to par with other people that he would be competing against uh, against for the championship. And that surprised me. Yeah, I wonder if he's going to complain about that. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I bet he has something to say about that. But I mean, but but in all seriousness, that is something that he and Adam Stevens are going to have to figure out. 
they may have to figure out alternative strategies uh, and alternative methods to uh, to winning these types of races. And again, yeah, I won't stress it enough that that talking about performance is far different because of the playoff system. It's far different than talking about potential championship contenders. When a champion is determined on potentially one run at Homestead, you have to take a deep look at a track like Homestead and the tracks like it and who's performing there. I don't think it's out of this world to think Kyle Busch may not be the championship contender. We think of him in terms of the performance. As you said earlier, champion doesn't go to the best team. The champion goes to the best performer at Homestead, which happens to be a lot like Kentucky. So pay attention this weekend, listeners. Um, David, what do you want to see happen this weekend at Kentucky? Well, uh, I'll throw a curveball at you. Uh, Ryan Blaney, by a pretty sizable margin, had the fastest car in the final quarter of the race at Chicagoland. He finished sixth in the race, but I'm wondering if him and crew chief Jeremy Bullins figured something out late in the race to pick up that kind of speed. It honestly may have been uh, just a, a, an effect of his positioning, but this season, and I wrote about this last month for The Athletic, Penske cars, all of them, and this includes Paul Menard, uh, get faster as races progress. And this was one noteworthy example of that. I'm curious as to whether Blaney can sustain the speed for an entire race. Uh, if he did, he wouldn't just win, he'd dominate. Um, so I, I would now just assume that maybe this is something that he has to work on over the course of the race to figure out what he needs to do to his car. But eye-popping numbers like he produced in Chicagoland, that, that'll make you give him a second glance. So I'm tuning in to watch that number 12 team this weekend. Interesting stuff. Uh, I personally want to see, look, the end of, the end of the Kansas race, I thought was awesome, you know, racing it out, going for the win. Chicago, very similar, the duel between Bowman and Larson, you know, passing for the lead, passing for the win late in the race. I like that stuff. Uh, just going back and, and looking, sometimes this Kentucky race can be dominated. I want to see at least four different drivers lead 50 laps or more in this race. I want to see, I just want to see some parity and I want to see some good racing at the end. But that's sp- specifically, I want to see four drivers lead 50 laps or more. I might be asking a lot, but that's what I want, David. That, did you, did you place a prop bet? Because this sounds no, weirdly I specific. I should, okay. no, I, I just went back and I looked and I, I think, you know, I've seen this race can get dominated by one driver that can lead a lot of laps. I want to see, uh, I want to see a number of drivers kind of spread it out a little bit and see, uh, okay. you know, see the comers and goers and see some of that speed and see what we can get. Fair enough. There we go. All right. Uh, that, that does it for our Kentucky preview. Normally we would end the episode, but David, we have a special announcement. We are launching the positive regression scouting network. This is a way to dive even deeper. This is a way to kind of personalize the positive regression experience. Tell us about it. Okay. So as of July 11th, 2019, the positive regression scouting network is open and all of our listeners are welcome to join. Now, we'll be upfront with you uh, about all of this. This is designed to help us, Alan and myself, pay for the pod. We are an independent production. We work for uh, very uh, good, wealthy organizations. They are not paying us to produce this podcast. Uh, we purchased our own microphones. I believe Alan got his for Christmas. Uh, so, Yes, that is what 
this is, but we are not simply asking for a handout. This is not a patron model where you leave a donation and that's it. For only $3 a month, you, dear listener, will become a regular part of this podcast. Once you join, you can either request a young driver who hasn't already been selected, or I can assign you a good NASCAR Cup Series prospect, at which point you will be tasked with keeping up to date on the progression of that driver's career. You will become a scout for us here at Positive Regression. Every so often, you'll email us the latest news, their short track wins, their new rides, their advanced stats if you're a Motorsports Analytics subscriber. Uh, rumors, give us some rumors. Keep us up to date, and we will read your update, your scouting report, if you will, at the end of a Positive Regression episode as I said, as you're hearing this, it has launched. So if you want to uh, be the official positive regression scout for Chandler Smith or Haley Deegan or Derek Krause, you better not waste any time. I have a feeling those names will go very quickly. Uh, for now, we're keeping this to drivers outside of Cup Xfinity and Trucks. If you want to give us reports on a K&N Pro Series driver, a USAC driver, uh, a legend card driver, make the request. We want to hear your updates. To sign up, go to scout, that's S-C-O-U-T, dot motorsportsanalytics.com and peruse the options on uh, the little PayPal button that you will see. So there it is, the Positive Regression Scouting Network. Alan, what could possibly go wrong with this? Well, I don't know if anything could go wrong. I think we could learn a lot, and some people could certainly get some attention. Uh, maybe a budding young driver wants to scout themselves. I never thought of that option until right now. Maybe they want to tell us how good they're doing and, and give us the results and uh, have us uh, you know, talk about them here uh, on positive regression. But, hey, look, look, any information, as you can see, it goes more than just looking up the, the finish right after a race on your app or something, right? There's so much more to learn about the future. We know the listeners, our listeners, you guys, I mean, are, we're so thankful for you, but we know you love, you know, going into the lower series and learning more about them. We'd like to bring you that information and now you can join us. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, reading some of the reports. Even if you uh, wanted to request a driver who is local to you and maybe you have some pretty good insight about that driver. Let's hear it. Uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, test your chops as a, a talent scout here on positive regression. Uh, I think it'll be fun and, uh, hope we have some takers. I think, I believe we will. There you go. The positive regression scouting network. Learn all about it. We'll, we'll fill you in next week on the progress of it all. Uh, but that ends the show for today. Episode 25. It's already over. David, uh, thank you just for everyone. First of all, for listening. Always remember we are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and now we're on Luminary. So wherever you listen to your podcasts, we'll make ourselves available. If you like what you're hearing, and we know you do because we have such great response and back and forth with you guys on social media, but please make sure to leave us a rating or a review. We'd love to hear from you. Little stuff like that, it really does help this podcast gain some visibility and you're helping spreading the word. Tell all your friends. It's so appreciated. If you've got questions, we want to answer them. We do, we have, we will on this podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, what are you working on? This week on The Athletic, I looked at the speed of Hendrick Motorsports on the drafting tracks this year following last weekend's race in Daytona. 
That is a part of the weekly speed rankings. Uh, I'll tease this. A very interesting team made a big move within the top 10 this week. Not going to say who it is. You'll need to subscribe for that one. Uh, I'll have some more content later this week on The Athletic. And on the home side, motorsportsanalytics.com, I need to brag about young Chris Mitchell. Um, he provided a good one this week, a deep dive on the NASCAR rookie class of 2001, a class likely consisting of three Hall of Fame drivers and maybe the greatest what-if in NASCAR history, a very enjoyable formal read from my young writer on motorsportsanalytics.com. Make sure you go check that out. David, I will be heading to, uh, well, I'll already be there, right? By the time you hear this, all you subscribers, much appreciated if you're listening to this Thursday morning. Uh, I will be on the way to Kentucky because that's where the NASCAR series are this weekend. And I'll be in there for the cup race. I'm not cup race. I'm sorry. I'll be there for the truck race, obviously, on Bit Road on FS1. One day I'll be on a cup race. Uh, but I'll be there for the truck race as we march toward the playoffs. Make sure you watch that Thursday night on FS1. I'll be down there on Pit Road. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, check out my Twitter handles at Alan Kavana. A little change there, but did a really cool story this week on Wade Moore. He is the tire carrier for Ryan Blaney, but one of those great stories where he was a pro baseball player, played with Bryce Harper in the Nationals organization, and uh, made made the switch uh, over to another pro sport, and that of NASCAR. So that was a really cool feature. Check that out. And we also had What's in a Number? The number two, the history of it, all the winners. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Rusty Wallace. He drove that car, David. So uh, I had something to do with writing that. So if it's a little heavy on Rusty, I apologize. But <laughs> thank you, as always, for listening to Positive Regression. This has been episode 25, Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. We will be back with you next week. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Stay positive, everyone. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.